This is Craig Cardiff, and you're listening to Talking Blues. You just released a new album. Was it difficult to make that decision to release it at this point? Or has was there a delay because of what's going on in the world? There was definitely a delay. So the album was written and recorded um, before we even confirmed working with uh, True North as a label that released it. So uh, the summer and fall, I was working in the US a bunch and uh, developing, going back to markets that I'd visited, touring um, to, to write and to build up fan bases and, and connect on all sorts of stages. And so in many ways, it was uh, like like paying your dues, right? Because in Canada, I, I'm very fortunate to have a number of places where I can travel twice a year and perform. Uh, some cases at, in Wakefield at Black Sheep, we were playing, I think, 10 shows a year. Wow. Where we'd be able to sell, like fill the room. And every year, the owner, um, the, the person who runs the place, Paul and I would look at each other and go like this. This is magical. What happened? So I, I I turned away from that to focus on the U.S. and uh, to write, and so that's that's where the the songs were written. Uh, my friend Jordan Percival int- introduced me to Jeff, who runs uh, True North. Jordan uh, works there at True North as a digital marketing manager, and Jeff is is True North is the owner, mm-hmm. and so we started speaking late fall and. Uh, confirmed that we could work together in January as we were wrapping like songs written, uh, a lot of the recording done. And then we were moving on to like band and horn and string and all like the other sessions that were booked from January till April. And they were spread out because we didn't have access to, to players. Um, and so as soon as the shutdown happened, we had to readjust how to finish the album and, uh, and so I, and there was also the hesitancy, like your question is, did, is the album coming out now because of the delays? And the hesitancy initially was on my part because I didn't know if the record label would want to put out, like after we were all over the, just two more weeks idea, like it wasn't going to be two more weeks or right. two more weeks again. After we were over that, it was like, you know, what does the label want to do? Or like, how are we going to do this? And it was business as usual from them. They're like, nope, Craig, hurry up, <laughs> like, make this work. And, and it was really comforting to have that support, like with so much unknown to have somebody who's equally as uh, affected by the chaos still say like, nope, like let's move ahead. And then it just was a, a learning curve of working remotely with everybody, like dropping off microphone kits to certain players or, teaching teaching uh, audio engineers who are, have like had rich career like you know in one case a 50-year career in in audio engineering how to like work digitally and remotely and so it felt like we were all we we're all kind of in the dark or the snowstorm holding onto each other's jackets figuring it out like getting there together and and, and there was comfort in that and then in terms of uh of releasing the album. I mean, I think it's just been like everybody else. Like, you know, once we, once we knew we couldn't tour safely uh, and instead of continuing to move theater dates after theater dates, it's like, let's put out the album. Cause it's, it's an, I believe it's an important album. And, uh, and even though we can't tour it right now, um, I'm, I'm proud of what we're doing in terms of being able to talk to people about it and getting it like, the UK uh, BBC had it as uh, album of the week wow. last week, and I'm like, that's that's amazing. Like people are listening to it. So, um, how did you handle the pandemic, or how are you handling it? And and would this project kind of in in works that you're keeping you busy? But how how was that whole? How has the last year been for you? The last year's been. Uh, like a lot of change, like I think for everyone. And uh, I mean, I've, I've always done 
many things. Like I think any musician who only does music is probably not telling you the whole story. I think musicians and farmers are very similar, right? Like the farmer who only does chickens probably doesn't only do chickens. They, you know, they garden or they have other, other things they do as farmers and same with musicians. So this year I've been lucky to work a lot on, on television film, uh, uh, composition. I've always, I've always done a lot of work with schools and universities. And so, um, that, I mean, to be honest, like I've been running a, a, a music program, uh, with the Ottawa school board and with some other schools, um, in Canada where we would work with students and record songs remotely. And there's been so much joy from that where it's just like, like the same encouragement that we all got from teachers to, to create and to like, to make stuff. And, and, and the added piece is like with mental health being such a focus, giving people, encouraging students, they already have the skills, but encouraging them to, um, find ways to create art that talks about their, how they're feeling, uh, has felt like just being of service and feeling like I'm, I'm contributing. Cause I think that many friends who are musicians struggle with that suddenly, like suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm useless. I can't do any of the things I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And I, I've heard that a lot and I, I, it's a familiar feeling. And so finding ways to be of service or be, uh, yeah, be of use or like perform our function. As is as has been how I've spent this last year, but you have been doing stuff like workshops, working with schools yeah. for a long time now. So it hasn't been just this year. Um, I want to get Correct. to that, but let's go back to that fifteen-year-old kid who started playing guitar. When, when did when did writing songs become an important thing as opposed to just learning chords? So, I mean, I can, I can tell you my recollection of being between kindergarten and grade one and not wearing a shirt and hanging out, listening to my mom's visit with friends. And my mom was telling a story about uh, Don, Don McLean. And I didn't know who Don McLean was, right. but she was talking about the idea of like, um, how he could write a body of songs and how some of those songs could be, uh, could help, like, could help his family. So in our family, uh, my mom and dad were the first to go to the university to the first to kind of have professional, like professional jobs. They were both teachers. And so there's this reverence. It's like interesting how we measure things, right? So this reverence for um, school. And so I, and I do remember that kind of, you know, as little kids were all recording boxes, I remember listening and being like, I think her measurement of his success was like his children and his grandchildren wouldn't have to worry about tuition. It was like, <laughs> and I didn't even know what tuition was, right? Like how ridiculous is it that this like five-year-old is like kind of zoning out. And, but that story stuck with me in terms of the power, like there's power in song writing. There's power in like creating. It's not, it's not frivolous. Mm -hmm. um, and then just later on the feeling of music, like I was a terrible student. I, a terrible musical student. I was a, an average student. And so, but I loved music. And I remember in high school, just a handful of times where there'd be teachers who would, uh, they were just authentic. And they're just like, these are, these are pieces of work that meant a lot to them. And they would share them with us, poetry, whatever. I remember learning about Paul Simon. Like I was always late for everything in grade 10 or 11 in a writer's craft class, listening or reading poetry. And I'm like, this guy's amazing. And my teacher's like, it's Paul Simon, like Simon and Garfunkel, you know, from the album Graceland. And I was reading it as a poem, um, having no context for the work, and then finding the music after. Or Sinead, I remember hearing, uh, you know, teachers who would create these opportunities for us to perform, you know, and God bless them for sitting through every bad version of Smells Like Teen Spirit that people would play with our heads down or, or every song introduction where people would be like, ah, oh, I wrote this song. You're probably not going to like it, whatever. Anyways, I'm just going to do it, you know? And like, but they gave us that chance to play. And I remember hearing uh, one student perform uh, Black Boys on Mopeds. And I, I don't know how old I was, 15 or 16. And I remember knowing, I, like, I knew nothing. I mean, you're 15, like, 
literally you knew nothing, but I felt power. I felt the power of the words and it, I, I felt like I knew Margaret Thatcher was a jerk and I knew that there was like, I, I had a sense of being in another place and in three minutes I was transported everywhere. And so that like music felt magic, like felt magical and powerful in that regard. Um, and, but I, and the other truth is that I was always too hesitant or cautious to fully commit. I was given so many opportunities by friends who were agents or worked in the music industry. And I was, uh, I was working at the university of Waterloo with a student student union booking as a, a sh- their show presenter. So I would get to book bands in and get to work with bands. And then I had other jobs where I would be doing marketing and I would always just do music as a, a part-time thing. And even though my parents, our parents were very supportive, the truth was, um, there was a caution there. Like, this is, you know, like go to university, get like, get a, get a, get a good job and, and, uh, don't ever give up music cause it's important, but like, make sure you have a plan, like quote unquote, capital T, capital P, the plan. And so it wasn't until I was in my 30s, uh, early 30s, that I started doing music full time. It had always been part time. Um, what was the the plan when you went to university? I was supposed to be a doctor. When you have a grant, when our grandma lived with us, and uh, there was four uh, us four kids, and there was an apartment in the house where she lived, and kind of had a separate. She was like Switzerland for us, right? Like. <laughs> You know, if you got into trouble with either your mom or dad, or you wanted like to get get a third opinion, you could go to grandma. And so she was a nurse. And so everybody who has a a nurse for a mom or grandma knows you're likely going to end up either being told to be a doctor or a nurse. And so my, I have three sisters now who are all nurses and I'm the, uh, I'm the failed doctor (laughs) of the family. But did you pursue that? Seriously? Only for only until I, I I took organic chemistry, and then it was just terrible. It was I flunked out after that. But I I I was always doing music during university, and that's that's where I got the most joy. Like I I loved I loved the opportunity to volunteer for shows. I remember volunteering for um, Lorena McKennett. Annie, I remember volunteering for an Ani DeFranco show with some of my friends, with a local presenter who was like, you know, like it was her money. She loved these artists and she'd bring them into our community. And I just remember having this, like, I had no idea how shows worked, but I remember being like, whoa, nobody's here yet. The presenter's nervous. And then out of nowhere, like all of these people came and they were all from Buffalo and it was amazing. And like the energy of that, that kind of show and, and being part of it as a, you know, backstage or, you know, even just like lifting gear, whatever it is like that, that uh, definitely informed my love of like putting on shows and working with presenters to, to collaborate. When I do research, I, I can never really trust what I read, but one of the, one of your teachers also helped you learn the guitar, correct? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Peter Mansell, like Peter Mansell um, made space for us to perform like coffee he would host co- the coffee houses I was referencing. He and Cherry Freund, they would just go above and beyond, right? And 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 create these like places for us to make music and would teach us. It, it's like it was the best guitar lesson ever because it was like, okay, I'm going to teach you enough, and then you better figure it out. And when you figure that out, come back and I'll teach you something else, you know. And I like that. I think that kind of like challenge. I mean, he wasn't even doing it as a challenge system. I'm making it sound like Karate Kid. It's not. It was just like, well, but he was. He was just really kind. He was just giving his time. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm looking back and I'm like, man, that was that guy's lunch. And there's a bunch of us there trying to like play guitar badly. <laughs> like he deserves sainthood for that. Just like every music teacher at the beginning with the younger classes, where you just see them kind of go, okay, take your instruments out, and then there's that like slight wince that they try to hide of like, oh god, like let's see how this sounds. And it's just like, you know, like the sound of like a new player where it's all enthusiasm and little, little technical. Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't want to keep bringing it back to teachers, but that's definitely like 
that encouragement. Yeah. Like having a community of people say like, Hey, Michael, you're like, you're really talented. Hey, Michael, like what you're, what you're writing is, is important. Even if it's like completely copying Leonard Cohen or, or Elvis Costello or whoever you're copying, like keep, keep at it. Like don't give up. So um, you started writing around that time, like very early. Yeah. I mean, I put out, um, but you probably remember this, but when CD, like state of the art CDs, where it was too expensive to press your own. So you would buy your way onto a compilation and there's like community compilations. So I would buy it like, you know, we'd go record into an ADAT at a studio and like, we only, we only could afford an hour. So it's, it's like, you came with your money, you paid your money and then you recorded. And I didn't know then, but I mean, that's very much like Elvis or these artists that would go and cut, you know, you've got three minutes. So yeah. that's like two, two singles. Um, and then we'd just buy our way onto compilations. And when I was 18, I put out, uh, an album. And then when I was 19, I put out a CD. And then when I was 20, I put out another one. And it's kind of almost one every year. But at this point, you're still thinking I'm going to be a medical professional. Music is something I do as a hobby. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I let go of that pretty, pretty quickly. I, it was funny because I had the idea of like, what you love isn't what you do. That's what I equated as having a, if you have a good work ethic, what you love isn't what you're going to get to do. And we get what we get and we don't get upset. And so, and that, that works for a while. Like I realized that I'm lucky to, that what I really love, I get to do. And that's not everyone's that lucky, but it's a lot of hard work. Um, and so I know I never thought I would be doing this full time. It, uh, I was 30. Um, I always had other jobs. And in the case in turning 30, um, the place I was working at lost their funding. There was a change in government to, cons to conservative federal conservative government and, uh, and everything folded. And so in looking at it, I'm like, well, I'm really happy doing music. And, you know, I can always go get a job. I can always go back into another job and and so you know 14 years later um this is kind of what it's expanded to and so i i wonder um when you went in and recorded songs on the dat and to try to get your songs onto compilation albums what do you think you were hoping to achieve by that what was the goal for that i had no idea I, like honestly it was like you don't know what you don't know. Like it was enough to be like, we've got a CD. Cause there used to be excitement in that, right? Yeah. Just look, look. And then, and then it was like, well, the now what? It's like, I don't know about now what, just look, like look at this <laughs> CD or look at this cassette. And I feel like that, um, I mean, that's, that's where it's interesting to me that like, so I pressed 500 cassettes. I can probably pull up the invoice of what it cost me to record and, and package. And, and I have zero visibility on the data from those cassettes. I can tell you, I probably just sold them to friends and family and people in Waterloo and a few mail orders. Whereas now contrast that with you and I could go onto my digital dashboards for Apple, Amazon music, uh, Spotify, and we could say, wow, like here's right now, this many people are listening to you in this country. Here's, it, it gets even like data creepy where it's like, they're between this age and this age, they identify as this gender. Um, here are the major cities in those markets. Like there's so much data now, mm -hmm. um, whereas before there wasn't. Um, so it, it, we've come a long way in terms of like in releasing something, what it means to potentially use that to connect with audiences. At 30, when you decide you're gonna pursue this, how much music were you doing part-time and where did you think your career was at that moment before you started to go full-time onto it? I, like, I mean, I, a, a friend I recorded with several times, he was based in Peterborough originally, and then is now uh, running a studio out of Toronto. He had toured with Stomping Tom and helped out with merch and kind of like, like the jobs that we all first get, like the everything job, like, help set up mics, help like do the everything job. 
And I remember some of the stories that he shared about how Stomping Tom had had toured. And he went he went where people weren't, where other people weren't, where other musicians weren't. So he would tour like small communities or connect with small communities and write a song for the small community. And and it wasn't a, a gimmick. It didn't feel like it just felt like he really he was really there and really like part of. And so I felt that's how, I mean, I would get invitations to come play places. And this is before Google maps. Like I remember being invited to play in Thunder Bay and I'm just like, I've just say yes to everything. And I remember being in my head, I'm like, Thunder Bay can't be that far from North Bay. And I've been to North Bay. North Bay is pretty, like I, I drove to North Bay. And then I just remember going, Oh no. Like, like looking on the map and going, <laughs> it's quite, it's actually quite a bit further, but we made it work. We found show, like you just reached out and you found ways to ask people to support it and you, you did it and then you like did it again. Right. Um, uh, in terms of like where my music was at, I don't like, I don't feel like I've ever had there's a thing that sometimes I see and I can get jealous of it. And then I also learn to let it go of like the, the bigger than or the cardboard castle of other, like you see other artists and how they're, they're doing, or they appear to be doing or all the tour dates. And, uh, and so just to disconnect from that feeling of like, I need to be doing more or like, I need to be getting this interview and being grateful for what is happening. And so I had work, I had consistent work that was usually organized four or five months out. I was able to hire people who could like organize that for me. Like how lucky is that? And, um, and I was able to record, like I built a studio in my home, uh, so that I could be with my daughter, like be with my daughter on the weeks she was with me. And then still work at night or work during the day and hire an engineer to come in. So I wouldn't have to like be part of the, at the time it was like, go to Toronto, like go to Toronto to do the, to record the album. And I remember thinking like, I don't, I'm not going to, I don't have the time. I have to be either working or I need to, I want to be with her or like having a life. And so, so I felt lucky for all those things. I guess, I guess, I don't know if that's a good answer, but that's, that's what it makes. That's when you ask the question, that's what it makes me want to, how I want to answer. So I'm, I'm wondering by the age of 30, you, you have some experience in, and I don't know if it's business, but you have life experiences and, and, you know, in addition to that, you have friends who've toured, who's done the merch or whatever. You also did some booking yourself. So you have a bit more understanding of the business was it easy to learn the business of music at the age of 30 to say, I'm going to do this full time and this is the plan? No, I mean, I think it's like any small business where you just have to like, I think the one thing I struggled with was the value where it was like, I would, um, I remember Hannah Wise, who was uh, working with Richard Mills at SL Feldman at the time. And so she, she was helping book me. And so I remember her saying, Craig, we, it, you have to charge people at least $500. And I remember being like, Hannah, that's too much. Like, what if they don't have $500? And she's like, well, then they can't, then they're not going to do the show. And I remember like that was a shifting point. And then I also remember uh, just looking at what, how much work I wanted to be doing and how, uh, what my commitments were in terms of, of like payroll and uh, just, you know, owning a house or right. braces, whatever those things were. And then, and then having like a, a target amount. And I think that's where a lot of artists struggle because you have to bring real value. So you talk, you, your comment was like learning the business. I don't think it's very complicated. You need to have as many seats. <laughs> like it's a, it maybe an overly simplified formula, but there needs, if, if we're charging $20 a ticket, there needs to be this many people at the show and we have to keep our costs down and we have to make sure that the promoter makes money and that we make money and nobody's allowed to rent uh, a a smoke machine that costs $800 and eats up all the profit. Like that's like, like that's that kind of thinking. And, uh, and I also know it's important to invest. I mean, I've, I've done so many shows. Oh God, gosh, like, 
you know, you're driving down to Boston, like a 12 hour drive for like a 12 minute set. And then you're like very polite and you thank everybody and you drive back. Right. But that's because that, that was an opportunity and you, you have to weigh those out against having real income. When I was writing this album, um, it was definitely an, I I was investing financially. I had projected that I'd be able to do it. There was a number of shows that, uh, on that tour that did very poorly. So I'm like, okay, you know, it's like, we're, we're going to be okay. Everything's fine. And then I remember uh, my father having a heart attack kind of uh, in the middle of that and just feeling just like I couldn't keep the rest of the commitments. I, I, I canceled so I could be with him and he's fine. But that idea of like resenting where I was with my career and my choices, because all of a sudden I didn't have the, I thought I was resilient and had, uh, as an entity, a, a company, a musical entity that I could pause and, and, and focus on what was really important. And I just resented the fact that it, like, I almost couldn't afford not to because of how things were. And so that was like this bitterness, like I had this bitterness towards decisions I'd made and I, I came through it and, we, and you always find a way to come through it. But, um, it was, uh, yeah, it was just a, it was a hard and curious fall, mm. and uh, and so in terms of the business of it, like finding ways to not just rely on the show, not just rely on the tickets. Okay, so I don't know if that leads to the work that you do with schools and workshops that you do. Is that one of the things that you thought? Well, I got to expand and let's work with the board of education. Yeah, for certain. So, as a, both my parents were teachers. And then all my friends, half of them seemed to be teachers and or camp directors or whatever. And so they would, they would say, "Oh, you're going to be in Calgary. You're going to be in Alberta. Like you should come and you know, do you mind just coming and doing something for the class or for the school?" And so I would always do that, and uh, and I enjoyed, like I really enjoyed it. And I think the same thing we were chatting about before: the idea of like, how do we contribute back to you know all the opportunities that we were given and all the opportunities that that encourage me to choose music how do we do that for people who are 15 who are you know 18 who are 20 and part of that is like make sure there's opportunities for them to open at your shows right like make sure there's always that like kind of farm league approach of like developing um and i think the other thing was just like touring all the time exclusively you can be really disconnected like you're by yourself mostly definitely some of my best friends are presenters uh and people who i've like i've just known for 20 years but feeling like you can visit a community and not just take a few selfies of like the mountains you know the three sisters or you know this really like i've gotten to, to travel in so many different northern communities that most people will never get to see and they're they're beautiful but it's like okay well how do you how are you contributing when you're there instead of just having a performance fee or instead of just like showing up for the evening and that for me was uh where workshops fit in or like and and calling them workshops is generous i mean they're more like these chaotic okay everybody's gonna write a song well, i don't know what to write about i don't care we're gonna like we're gonna figure it out we're, you're gonna write a song and it's gonna be great but i've never done it before i'm like great that means like it, it can only be good like it can only like start here and then go up and uh it's like it's like the swimming instructors who are like everybody gets in the pool even if you even if you don't swim you're like everybody's gonna everybody's gonna be in the pool and you're like well i'm nervous and they're like well here let me help you boom you know and like you're always safe you're always looked after but the idea is everybody's so strongly encouraged to try and i like that because i think that we can get stuck in our own heads and our own limitations and so bringing it back to uh workshops so the idea of encouraging people uh teachers are music teachers are the only teacher who have to recruit math teachers don't have to like no. dangle a boston trip <laughs> right they like english teachers don't have to sit there and say like hey guys you know disney if we're really good at our writing we're gonna get to go to disney and perform our writing like but music teachers have to do that and they have to like cultivate and so if people who are doing what you're doing, talking with musicians, 
and musicians and everybody else values the next generation, the next, the next, the, the next audience, the next writers, then we need to put a, a little bit of time into it and saying, yeah, this is important. And you can, you can just be an audience to digital platforms or here's, here's the even better. Here's the cleaner water. Here's how you make music. Here's how you go see music and it's live. And there's an energy there that um, digital will never capture. And just being an example. I, I wonder when, when you were first presented with the idea of doing workshops and working with school kids, if you automatically went back to your school teachers who helped you along the way, or you said, yes, I'll do it. And then while you're doing it, Austin, it took you back to that place where you were the student and the teacher was teaching you how to play the guitar. I, yeah, I don't think there was ever any. I think the thing that's a, the, the most truthful is just like saying yes to things and then seeing how they went and then building from there and expanding from there. And that's really the, that's the truth. Like there's been no plan, right? Right. There's been like other, there's other than just uh, where shows were profitable or successful working on the, in that piece and, uh, and then trying to replicate it and then just like working hard. I would always resent that because I would find people who would give advice for like touring American colleges or like touring US venues. And the, the ones I learned to trust the most were the ones who start off by saying there's no, there's no Jedi tricks, just hard work, being reliable, like having, being good at what you do and loving what you do because people want to be around that. People don't want to be around, people smell fake or non-presence. So you make this decision at 30 to go into this full-time. Was there any point within the first little while that you thought, what have I done? Or did you think? Yes. Yeah? No, it was terrible. I felt like it was a terrible decision. People weren't putting money into my bank account every two weeks to pay the mortgage. And and it was like, just even, I mean, it's not an issue of the art. It's an issue of the administration of running a small business. And I think that's what that's what tanks most artists or they feel like they need to give that up to a manager or something right but it's really just about managing those aspects of a small business that are your responsibilities until you can afford to hire somebody to help you and i think that that's and also it's not very glamorous so nobody wants nobody's like excited about filling in grant forms you know or filling in royalty forms but was but it, it's important it's yeah it. so was there a point where you after doubting and thinking, oh, my God, what have I done? Can you give me an example of a point where you thought, wow, this is why I did this? I just, I was visiting places that I hadn't toured in a year and a half or two years and, and was able to fill it for two shows in the night. And and people who were just like supporting the music, who I didn't know, like I, they weren't, it wasn't like, oh, yeah. We went to school together we had this connection and, and as a result this came to be it was just people who were yeah who connected with the music it was like the music became this third concept and and kind of outside of me and, and so i'm like wow this is like people like it people are like it, it has meaning to them and um and they'll come and so that like that was the start of like you know seeing that it was possible and and growing, I mean, I think the mistake I made is 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 just, but I didn't even know. Like, I, I my thought was like, uh, I don't even know how to tour in the states. I don't even know the work permit that I would need. Um, so just focusing on growing in Canada first. Whereas if I was to go back now, I would say, well, it's not that hard. And it's the same advice I give to every band who I or artist I speak with: get a proper work permit for the U.S. Here's how you do it, and. Um, and go down and start building and start connecting with fans there because uh, Canada is amazing and the U.S. is amazing. Like the U.S. has more venues closer together who are hungry for music and also challenge, like challenging ourselves because there's some like because of the density, the musicality and, the, and the, the, the craftsmanship of some of the people you'll meet playing are like amazing. And so learn from that. Like, so don't just be as good as what you know in the, 
Canadian fish tank be as good as and better as as what you know and see, you know, in the U.S. or like some of the European shows that I did, like just the level of production that some of these bands would bring to a, a 150 person room, like a jazz club in Hamburg. Like I, I was just like, this is like a rock show. Like the, their like their sound is perfect, and they had just they'd because they'd done it. And just, I remember learning, like learning from watching and, and uh, yeah, just like always, always improving your game. But what's it like to say, okay, I'm going to go drive 12 hours to go to Boston, do 12 minutes, come home. I mean, obviously that's to build the audience, but you, you yeah. keep doing stuff like that. Um, you, you can't, you, you have to learn to only do that a few times or else you go broke really quickly. <laughs> right. But hopefully that it pays. Um, a pays yes, off, yes. Um, but I mean, when you say when when you say, well, it's a lot easier in Canada. Maybe maybe it's not a lot easier because it's much wider and bigger. But how do you make that decision? Say, okay, I'm I'm going to try to tackle the states, or I'm going to try to go to Germany. How does that happen? I think you you get comfortable asking. Like I think that the musicians who I I'm the people who I want to understand are the ones who aren't comfortable asking and have all these opportunities that kind of come up and it feels like maybe there's some game or some human behavior exchange that I don't fully follow, but just getting comfortable asking for help. Like I would like to tour in Alberta. Does anybody know anybody? I would love to tour in Northeastern us. I have these two dates. Does anybody know anybody? Can anybody make any recommendations? And uh, any of the people that I've worked with or had as part of my team over the years, I always talk about the idea of gardening or farming and coming back to that, like you cultivate, like our job is to come at least every year or two years. And, and it's not about us. It's about the night and the night is so special and we're part of it and the venue's part of it and the audience is part of it. And we all want it to happen again. And we want it to be a bit different the next time it happens, maybe bigger or more intimate, whatever. And that's the, from a business in a non-slimy way of like, every, well, that's, we're responsible for creating this experience. And then on the, the other side of it, it's like, um, I don't know, like how, how can you keep connecting with people um, outside of your markets so that you're, you're finding new places to go to? And, and also just like, I mean, the business has changed so much. I used to rely, the half of the income would be album sales. And that's shifted away in the last eight years. And so uh, tickets have gone up. But in terms of of knowing when to go to, to Germany or to the US, I don't think like, I don't know. Like for me, we spoke earlier about the idea of like what digital, how digital platforms have helped that. Right. And in my case, it's given me a reach where there's fans in those places who are like, we love your music. And I'm like, I have no idea what country you're calling from. And this is awesome. And let's find a way to, to like do something together, not just license a song, but like, I want to come to Hong Kong. That's crazy. Would you really want to come to Hong Kong? I'm like, uh, yeah. Cause I don't know that I'll ever be able to, to visit there otherwise. And if I go, I have a, a function and I have, um, I'm able to connect with real community, not just as a tourist. And that's exciting to me. Like that's more exciting and appealing to me than just going as a tourist. So what did you know? You, you talked about that creating an, an evening, a creating an event um, that hopefully people will connect. And it's, it's about the performance. It's about you. I, I wonder when do you know, or at what point in your career did you think, I'm good at this, like, and I, I, I know you're not sitting there going, I'm great at this, but, but just. I'm the best. Okay. <laughs> but at what point do you say, okay, you know, it's partly the songs that you write, because I think that's who you are, a songwriter, but it's partly who you are on stage and the, the atmosphere you create. It's partly the interaction you have with the audience. At what point did you feel comfortable with all of that coming together? Or do you ever? Yeah, for sure. I think like when I was 35, when I was 35, I remember being at shows and feeling like a lightness in my chest 
and I was, I was standing and I was playing and I would have shows where I was managing the drunkest of like nice people who just had too much to drink before they got there and had had too much during and just finding a way to disconnect from, from it and managing it and just seeing it as like, we're all going to get there together. Like we're all like holding hands, we're linked arms and we're, we're going to like find a way to like through whatever tricks each band or artist has. And because I would tour up by myself all the time, it's like, I think that was a bonus. I didn't have the ability to, to turn to a band and say, we're just going to like hammer through like, you know, yep. Somebody threw a, a bottle at the stage, but guys, we're going to do this and we're going to hammer through. You hear those, you know, those band stories. And so you have to be a bit more, uh, more uh, artful and like manage, manage the room or connect with the audience. Um, yeah. That, I mean, I, I remember having that, that moment of like, and acknowledging it going like, Oh, I feel really, I feel comfortable in my own skin doing this. And I don't care what, if I'm in front of 5,000 people or if I'm in front of like 10, I still feel good. And if people don't like it, that's okay. And if people like it, that's appreciated. And that, like that would, that moment for me was like different as opposed to at the end of every show being like, Oh, you know, it's like, let's do a recap. And like, what could we've done better? And like doing metrics. Right. And like, instead of just celebrating what the show was and letting it go, like it's done, it's over. Like you can't change anything that happened. And, uh, and just a, like appreciating that like a bunch of people paid money to come be together. And there was this like wonderful night, like, this wonderful experience. And, and also like the idea of being in flow. So I feel like the question really is like, when, when do you know you're, you've arrived or feel comfortable in your skin, your skin as a performer. And that's for me, recognizing when you're in flow and you're like, Whoa, two hours happened. Whoa. Like what, you know, like this is amazing. Like it's over. Oh, it's over. But it, you're so in the moment of it. And also the shows where I felt like I was a witness and like, I know what's going to happen next. I know what I'm going to do next, but the audience is so part of it that you're not, like, you're like, Jesus. I just invited a bunch of people on stage and they're dancing. And these two guys are like doing like standing flips. Like, thank you, Thunder Bay. Like, like taking risks that way. And, and for the most part, they've always paid off. I would imagine that as a one person on stage show that a lot of times what really works is depending on the song. So I, I wonder I mean, obviously, it's it's your persona as well, but I mean, I, there must be times when you play a particular song and all of a sudden the crowd reacts a certain way. They're really drawn in. How much of that happens, um, like you, you record a new album, do you road test the material ahead of time? Or well, So Eric and I were talking about this because I didn't get a chance to road test the material fully. Like I, I was writing and road testing it in the U.S., and so I feel like in some ways you're wanting live material to be, you're wanting live material to be stuff where people are like singing along, you know, you've got a strong chorus if people are like call and answer or whatever. And that's true to a certain degree. But I think that because I didn't road test the material, I didn't go through my old patterns. I was able to write songs and keep songs that are, are really good that didn't, that, that I didn't sit there and say, well, nobody's of, of three of the five shows, nobody, nobody like caught onto the chorus. And so it must not be good. And I should rewrite it. And instead it was like, no, this is like, this, this feels like it works with the piece and, um, and I want to keep it. And so I feel like in, in, in many ways, uh, the, the songs were saved from the same process I would have put other ones through in previous recordings. And so I'm grateful for that because it, it, we, we don't know what we don't know and we only do what we do know. And so the idea of like uh, being forced to take a different approach and seeing a like a really positive result out of it uh, is, a is a teaching moment. It's a learning moment to say like, okay, moving forward with the way I write and the way I record, um, 
don't always do what you've done. Is it is it easy for you to know what's a good song? No, because I, I feel like they're all, like I'm proud of all of them. I, I feel like if they lyrically, the example I gave at the beginning, if, if they can, if you can read the lyrics and there's like a, I want to know more, or they just stand on the, like if the lyrics are the bones and the bones survive the storm or distraction and can be like stand up on their own, that's, that's strength. I feel like melody is the, um, is the airplane. The arrangement is like the, the engines and the, the air balloons that get the song out into the world for it to be enjoyed for, for, for me, for my music. There's lots of amazing bands that, that Neil Young's lyrics are so like raw. <laughs> and if you read them, some of them seem silly out of context, but with the music and the delivery, they like, they, they grab you. Like they literally reach inside your chest and grab you. And so there's a different power there. For me, that's that's my judgment of what makes a good song is the lyrics and do they stand. Do songs surprise you at times when you're performing them and how people react to it? Yeah, well, just also what people think they're about and what people, uh, yeah, it's like these songs, it's like you're creating these things that, that are walking out in the world around you without you. And people are like, sometimes what people think you wrote them about or what it means to them is like way better than what you wrote them about. Like I know for me, for me, there's like a handful of songs that like literally saved my life. Like Trapeze Swinger, Iron and Wine saved my life. And I can, I can, I don't even care what he wrote it about because I know for me that that music was like a, a rope to, to hold on to and kind of pull up through a hard time to understand and explain how I was feeling inside. And so I think if maybe if I can answer again, that what makes a good song is the lyrics and that they have, they stand on their own. And also that uh, you're writing about something you actually give a shit about. And that like means something to you and people, people uh, smell that people feel that. And then it's like, that is, yeah, if you can helping make sense of what's happening inside of us and then giving that to other people as a tool to like for them to, to help understand what's going on inside of their hearts and heads. Okay, this might be a silly question, but I've seen you do some TED Talks where you basically have, you just basically write a song on the spot with ideas and right. people telling you little things. Um, and when you can do that, where you can just go, okay, give me a topic, give me a situation, here's a song. Obviously, that's not the way you deal with writing your songs on the next album. No, no. But is there any similarities between the two? Like, is well, no. But so that that idea starts with when we get to because I got I got to a point where I'm like, and I haven't had real success. Like, I haven't had like. I've, I'm a working musician. And so I, I like, that's, I'm like, I'm really, I'm really proud of that. Um, but you can also get to a point where you're stuck, where you're like, well, I can't write a song like this because this isn't like what I've done before and people won't like it. Or like you can get into that headspace of, and you're stuck. And so that's where it, when I'm working with students, uh, I have to call bullshit on myself because I can't sit there as a, as somebody encouraging them to, to like not get stuck and you know, everybody only finishes half the song and then gives up because they don't like it or it sounds too much like the band that they love and they see the, they see the influence and they, they're like, Oh, and so the thing I put back to them is like, well, what if for me, what if iron and wine had been lazy like that? And what if they'd never finished traffic swinger and I didn't have that song to help pull me through a hard time. And the idea of like, we owe that to each other. Like we owe that, all of us have like that kind of idea or song. And so the advice I've gotten from two friends who are engineers, producers is when you are stuck, just write something about anything. And so like a, just detach ego and just write. Because the other thing is like when we have ego attachment to the song, we're like, well, what will people think? Like, 
like I haven't been vague enough in these references to my personal life about like this hard thing that happened or whatever. Um, and so if we detach from that and even just take other people's words and give them life, that usually can get us unstuck in our writing or in our creating. And uh, that's how I intend it. The, the problem I have with that, Marco, is that I end up like, it becomes a, a, a people are like, a, hey, monkey, dance. Like, do the thing, write the song. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Simmer, like, let me do the show for, <laughs> let me play some songs for you first before you, like, bring out the organ grinder. Because I feel like that's also, like, the balance of, like, performing and creating. I see it now when everybody's online and everybody's doing, like, these live stream remote pieces and the question I put out, and not meaning to sound like a snob, but like how much of this art that's being created in these kind of like marathon Twitch sessions is how much of that is like art that that our grandchildren will be like, oh my God, this song survived the ages. This song spoke to me. And who knows? Like, I don't know. My guess is not a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the other thing you've done over the years is I'll recorded other people's song. And so as a, as a person who's known as a songwriter, what motivates you to record Bob Dylan's songs or any of these other great songwriters? Is it just because they're great songwriters? Uh, or is it just maybe you're going through a period where you think, I need to get somebody else's influences? Like, is it difficult to do... Um, um, an album worth of covers when you're known as a, writer, a songwriter. No, I think the danger is it's too easy to do an album's worth of covers when you're a songwriter. And then the 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 truth is, in a digital streaming age, those are the ones that automatically jump to the top because of algorithms. And so that's something that I've been so ecstatic with this new album, all this time running, is that like all those songs are getting pushed down because True North is like. Well, I think they've just they've they put they've positioned all the singles and albums in a great way for them to like occupy the top spaces because people know you for what you're popular for. And so when you go to Apple, Amazon, whatever, Spotify, the what occupies the top spots are what people hear. Very, very very seldomly do people dig into your catalog. And so uh I put out other the projects I put out were a collection of covers from a live show, which we've since uh, pulled back. Um, the one I'm most proud of is Mothers and Daughters. And so the idea with that was all of my favorite female singer-songwriters and songs that I had connections with and recording those. And the reality is, again, like in my head, I think in all our heads, we like kind of, we still think we're 25, but I'm not. I'm 44. And the songs that I know, like I love... Uh, True Colors, because our mom and dad sang it to us or played it on vinyl. Students know it because they've seen the movie Trolls and Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake performing. So the idea of like good songs, having legs and and like continuing to be recorded. Um, Somewhere Over a Rainbow. Like these these songs that like will continue to be recorded and have a life of their own because they they say the thing that will always be true for people and will let them kind of be more open-hearted as a result. Is songwriting an easy thing for you? Yeah, I think when I don't make problems for myself, it's really easy. Like, it's really fun. I think that I think that working with people clearly, working with people who are fun and have up energy and have their own shit together um, is great. I think as soon as you find yourself in a writing situation or a class, like in most, in all cases, I write my songs and I'll bring them to people for feedback and so on. And what I've learned is that come and work with people who, and, and, and call yourself out on it. If you're not in like a good space, energetically, relationship-wise, financially, like whatever that is happening for you, like if you can't leave that behind and you're like dragging it with you into like this sharing session, that's not fair. And so when you see that in other people, just, just be aware of it and don't try to force something that's not working. Like just like find another time to write and work. Um, 
and, and set lots of little deadlines for yourself. That's critical. If you're good at working towards deadlines as opposed to frightening you. <laughs> well, it's more like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like when did he start his, his book? I think it was like the day he owed it to the, <laughs> he owed the manuscript to the publisher. So I think rather than doing that and creating this like tension, like keep scaring yourself in little bits. And that's what writing the songs on the spot is. I don't know how it's going to go. I know that I'm going to get better at improvising. It's really just a series. It's like you watch people who do Rubik's Cubes and you're like, well, the trick is these three, these three spots. Like I remember chatting with one fellow who'd, um, young fellow, and he's like, well, it's, it's really easy. You just, as soon as you know that these three things need to be like this, and then you're just doing them. And he would, he would be doing it peripherally while making eye contact with me when I was trying to get it. And I would ask him questions to throw him off. And he's like, fine, I can do this, Craig. And so as soon as you, as soon as you learn the trick, I think like teach other people the trick and, and then keep getting better, find out the spots where you're weak. So in songwriting for me, uh, it's like writing, writing in different ways, which was on this album, writing choruses that, that were, uh, were, were melodic without necessarily a reliance on a, a lyrical catchphrase, like the American. Um, that's one of the songs that's doing really well, uh, within the BBC and the chorus is, is like this shout, you know, they don't want to know. I don't want to know is a repeated line. And I felt really uncomfortable with it at first. I'm like, Oh, we'd need to like change this chorus, but it's like, no, let's try something new. Let's, let's, let's try a different approach. So what does it mean to be with True North for this latest album? Um, it means support, like support and reach that I, I just wasn't aware of. Because when you're doing your own thing, you're like, the problem is you think you know how to do everything when you've been doing it for 20, 24 years. And, and that's dangerous, right? Like giving up control. The support from radio, uh, because there's, you know, Carrie, Mark, Brad, Jeff, Eric, like all these people who are cat, like everybody on the team who's like putting this album in front of people and, and they believe in it. Like I couldn't pay them enough to be as excited or as like, like some, sometimes I think like their support of it is like what makes me go like, Oh, like, I guess it is good. Cause you can get into a point of doubting yourself in the vacuum of creating. Yeah. And so the question is what being with true North, I, it's my first time with a label. Obviously it's not a, like a normal label experience. You know, I'd love to be out touring and, and selling albums that way. And so we've had, had to find other ways to do that, but very positive, you know, and any of the, like, yeah. And I think I know how to do everything. And it's like an interesting experience going like, Hey, look what I did. And to have somebody go like, we don't like that at all. Right. And to bring it to them and say like, here's a horn arrangement that I did. And they're like, Whoa, you really went down a foxhole there. That'll make a great bonus track. Now let's just have the, like the main song. And, and I don't mind that. Like, I don't, I'm not that precious. Like I don't, you know, there's both songs on the album. So you can, you know, decide which one you like for yourself. And then the other thing you did was to include some of the older tracks. Yes. Tell me about that decision or the thought behind that. Yeah. So I think that I, for a lot of people, the feedback from a lot of people on the advanced release and from just this past week at the album coming out on the 14th, they're like, we're like, this is amazing. Like we've never heard of this guy. And we never, and then, then they're like, oh, this like, there's this like lots of songs, like 20 plus albums. And, and so trying to find a way to summarize it for them was part of the, that, that intention. The other piece for me is like, where we've had, you know, like millions of, of, of streams for some of the songs to put that now in the context of like, well, how will it do for radio? Like this was an organic DIY thing. There, there was, I can tell you there was no marketing budget because it was me with a small team and, and we 
if Spotify was new at the time. And I like what I attribute it to is that I was touring a lot and just writing and recording often and releasing music. And so some of it got picked up and connected with people. And I'm fortunate for that. And it speaks as well to the to the dem the democracy of these systems, that it's not just major labels who are like placing signals, that there can be these outliers, which certainly was our case. Like I mentioned beforehand, people were suspicious or they're like, so how did like, why are you so successful? I'm like, I don't know. Like I really, like I could, you know, I just, I tour a lot. I, I, I write the songs I'm proud of. And then I go on to the next one. And um, so I, in, in adding them to the album, it's it's kind of like, let's see what how radio responds to these, you know, because this is how the streaming world responded. And so it'd be wonderful for these songs to, to see a new life um, within the realm of radio. And the truth is like these, some of the songs that I've, I've had success with have put me in front of audiences, you know, in Europe and Hong Kong and parts of the States that I never would have in traditional touring or even artist career ways I never would have had access to so so celebrate that and uh and 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 make it part of the release and there's also several singles that we added that are like just I feel like they never got a shot because when you're releasing digitally you push it as much as you can and there's this frustrating thing where where people are like well is it coming out on an album and at the time it was like no and they're like okay well but now that it's attached with an album, people are like relearning about it. The the song, uh, what was the song by Aha, Take On Me? Mm -hmm. They recorded that four and released that four different times. And it was when they they released it with a video, the, the final video, that kind of like that combination of team and, and song. And not, I don't, I, I'm not saying that with the ego of like, oh, and then this is going to happen. But I'm just saying like, Often people are like, well, you, you're only allowed one shot to do it. And because of the way I've worked up to now, these last 24 years, I'm allowed to re-release songs. I'm allowed to like put them out in whatever order I want. I own, I own the masters. I've written them. So if people don't like it, they don't have to listen to it. And I, I think that, I think where I get frustrated with the Spotify model currently is that there's an expectation of releasing so frequently that you'll never recoup the money you should be putting into the making of the art. And that part, that part needs balancing where it's like, if you're in a traditional model, paying your, your, your players, a recording studio, and then the marketing behind it, releasing something every two to three weeks, it's easy as a singer songwriter. It's much more difficult as a, a a, a band project like forget about friends who have a 10 piece like you know i'm thinking of a few a few guys i know who have like 10 piece like rap fusion big band projects and i'm like how mm -hmm. and they're like we do it because we love it you know are you constantly writing songs or is it driven by projects no it's con i'm constantly writing and that just it's is it because I've talked to musicians who are, it's a nine to five job for them to write songs or other people who only write when they're inspired and they'll just record the idea that that comes into their head when they're driving down the street or whatever. How does it work for you? But no, I'm constantly writing songs, even when I'm just writing them for other people, writing with students or writing for film and television. Yeah, constantly writing. And some of those are deadlines and some of those aren't. People are like, well, what ideas do you sell? I'm like, well, I keep the really good ones for myself. And then I put like a diminished chord on the one I, I give to other people. But I'm always proud of the work that I, I, I do and finish and give. My final question to you. I guess it's not, it's, it's like having kids or something. Your songs are all important to you. Um, but is there something that you're still trying to attain with, with the song? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to... I've gotten really, 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 really close with all this time running where each one is like, a, you know how Kurt Vonnegut used to sell chapters or sell like short fiction pieces when there was that market. Mm -hmm. 
and there was a, a consumer market for like, we're going to pay money to read the, the idea, the sketch that became the book. And so with the, each of these singles, I feel like I wrote really good chapters that could also be standalone pieces. And then together, I hope that they tell a, a story which is, is basically like as a, a solo singer songwriter being in all these places, either in Canada or the U S looking at them differently. So like looking at Yellowknife from my time in the Northeastern U S looking at Wyoming from when I was out East Halifax and, and you don't need to know me or you don't need to even like know the, the story or intention to, to watch this like little mini doc uh, to listen to a little mini doc of a song to, to have a sense of what's happening within it. Um, and they're big. Like it's like, there's 40 tracks of horns in Wyoming, like Wyoming, like this, we just got crazy with it. We're like, I think we can make it sonically bigger. <laughs> like, like stuff that I, I would have under regular conditions, I would have stopped at 10. We've achieved it, but it's like, well, no, let's, let's try to create more space. And then working really carefully, not just handing it over to the team mixing, but like, like we really want to like, we want it to feel like it's like a universe. We want it to be that wide. And that's why we recorded the way we did and captured the way we did. And, and for them to go, I get it. And then we're going to work with you on that. That's great. Thank you for sharing your music and, and your thoughts with me. Thanks very much. Thanks.